Man, I love that song. I just stand in there and sing for a while. Welcome this morning. It's good to have all of you here. We have a lot of visitors here this morning. That's always, always exciting. Happy Thanksgiving week. That's, I'm sure, why we have a lot of visitors here coming in to visit family. This is such a great week. Are you guys all out of school already? Out of school? See, that's, that's the best. I mean, I'm not out of school, but I mean, I guess I kind of am. But this, this is like, to me, this is the beginning of the holidays. This is, when I, this is the week I can actually start listening to Christmas music out loud instead of in secret like I've been doing since the middle of October. But this, this is just, just the best. We have, we have so much to be thankful for. I mean, we, we, are, we are so, so very blessed. And like I said, th- th- this is just, this is the beginning of, of such a great season, a time of thanks, a time of family, a time of just, just good, good times. And again, my, my warmest Thanksgiving wishes to all of you. I hope everyone has a great week, whether you're traveling or staying here or, or whatever it may be. I hope, hope it's a, a great Thanksgiving week. If you have ever, <clears throat> if you've ever studied child psychology or child development or human development. I'm sure you're, you're familiar with all the various theories, all the various uh, ideas of how humans develop from Kohlberg's theories of, of moral reasoning to Piaget's theories of, of, of cognitive development. And my personal favorite, Eric Erickson's theories of psychosocial development. And all of those theories center around the idea that we need to know, we need to develop an understanding and an awareness of self, of who we are. Or, if you've never heard of any of those and just don't care, like most of humanity, then you've probably either raised a child or have been a child at some point in your life. And you understand the importance of knowing and coming to grips with your identity. Who are you? Who, who am I? Who am I supposed to be in life? What am I supposed to do in life? Merriam-Webster Online defines identity as who someone is. That's very simple, right? But then it goes on to say the qualities, beliefs, actions, etc. that make a particular person or group different from others. Identity. So let me ask you, Christians, what is our identity. Who are we? Well, honestly, that ought to be an easy answer. We ought to know who we are. We, we ought to know that we could look at Ephesians chapter 1 and, and we can see that in Christ that we are redeemed, that we are justified, that we are adopted. All those great things. I think one of the greatest verses that really summarizes this very succinctly is found in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. A familiar passage, you, Christians, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people belonging to God. And we know those ideas, right? We understand that we are, because of what Christ did, because of our obedience to His plan, we are chosen. We're chosen to be forgiven because we, we followed His plan. We understand that we are a royal priesthood. We don't need priests anymore, that we ourselves can go before God. We're a holy nation, not like Israel was. We as Christians today, worldwide, we are that holy nation. And we are a people that belong to God. And why? That we may declare the praises of Him who called us out of darkness into His wonderful light. We know that, right? We ought to know that. And let me just say this parenthetically. If you don't know that and would like to know more about that, let's talk about that. Because we need to know who we are. 
But I want to suggest to you this morning that just as important as it is that we know who we are, we also need to know what should we do? What are we supposed to do? As those people, those people who are justified, called out, adopted as sons, those people who are this chosen people, this holy nation, this royal priesthood, what are we supposed to do? What is it that we're supposed to engage in? I think it's as important to know who we are as it is that we should know how we should engage in life, how we should engage with each other, how we should interact as, as a body of believers. How should we work with each other? How should we engage in our own and in each other's spiritual growth? God put us all in this thing together for a reason. We need to know what we should do about that. I don't know who this person is. Navani Jones, I have no idea. I didn't look it up, but I love this quote. A person's character is shown through their actions in life, not where they sit on Sunday. So we need to know how we should engage in life. And thankfully, God has given us plentiful examples of how, how we should live. What should we do as this body of believers, as this church family, as individual Christians, certainly, but as, as this, this people that are called out, this nation. God has told us what we should do. We have so many examples to look at. Let me invite you this morning to open your Bibles to the book of Acts. And I want you to turn, if you would, to the very, very, very first page of the book of Acts. I'd say page one, but it's not really page one, but it is of the book of Acts. And you might notice that in a lot of your translations, it, it will say the Acts of what? The Acts of the Apostles, because this is a recording of those that Jesus sent out and what they did. But what I want us to do this morning is look through the book of Acts very briefly, very quickly, so buckle in. But I want us to look at the Acts of the disciples. Those who were the followers of Jesus in the first century. Those who we hold up as our model. This is who we want to model. This is who we want to be like. We want to engage in what they engaged in. We want to model those earliest Christians who were so close to the apostles' teaching, so close to Jesus' teaching, how did they live? What did they do? What are the acts of the followers of Jesus? And as we look through these examples, I think we can learn some lessons from, from how they lived. But then what I want us to do is also look at some ways that we can implement some of those things into our own lives and into our church family life. So I think if, if you begin in Acts chapter 2... After, as, as, as we move through Acts chapter 1, they've, they've appointed the, the new 12th apostle. And we get to the day of Pentecost and the, the 12 are in the upper room and this amazing event happens. And they come down, they speak in languages they never studied. And we have Peter's great recorded lesson where Peter tells them, here's the history of who we are. And, G and God sent his son, the Messiah, and you people killed him. But God offers you hope. In Acts 2.38, the, the 2.37, the people say, what do we do about this? We've messed this up. And Peter says, repent and be baptized, 
every one of you for the forgiveness of your sins. And from that point, we, we see 3,000 immersed into Christ. And we see in this passage that was read, read before us or for us this morning that they began to live together. So I think the first thing that we can see as we look at this, the early church, is that we are made for fellowship. In Acts 2, verse 46 in particular, it says they were together every day in the temple, but they were also together every day in their homes. They spent time together around tables. They spent time together sharing meals. Why did they do that? Well, number one, I bet they were a little bit freaked out about this whole new life they just started. This, this was a whole new thing. These people had, many of those people were, had, had grown up as Jews. And they had a whole system of life. This was brand new to them. They needed to work on this together. They needed to get to know each other. This was going to be difficult. I think we see a great example of this in Romans chapter 16. As Paul is finishing up this great letter to the church in Rome, as he concludes this idea, or as he concludes this letter, if you look in chapter 16, verse 3, I'm not going to read down through this, but just look for yourself. Look at all those people. Look at all the people, he says, greet also the church that meets in their home, the home of, of Priscilla and Aquila. Greet Mary, greet Andronicus, greet the fellow Jews, greet Urbanus, greet Apollos. Greet all these people, greet all these different people. And he, he says something about them. How does he do that? How does he greet all those people by name? He tells us he knew them. That somehow he had gotten to know those people that he knew something about them. He was involved in their lives. He got to know those people because that was so important. Listen, first century Christianity compared to 21st century Christianity is very different. But the reality is, in some ways, it's not all that different. They have different challenges than we have. But we still need each other. We still need to know each other. We still need to have that fellowship where we're together, where we're in each other's lives and in each other's homes and spending time with each other where we get to know what, what each other deal with. So we see the great example early on as the church begins this walk of faith that just spending time together in fellowship was vital to their existence and they knew that. But they didn't leave it at that. <clears throat> The early church shows us that they also didn't, didn't just say, we're just going to hang out together and get to know each other, and we're going to play games, we're going to have fun all the time, because they knew there was so much more than that. As you move forward to Acts chapter 5, what, what you'll see as, as in chapter 4, the, uh, Peter and John have been arrested, they've returned back, back, to the, back to their home, and at the end of chapter 5, after there's, the apostles are back on trial, all this different thing, these tragedies seem to be happening, Verse 41, when they're released, they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. That in and of itself is fascinating. But verse 42 of chapter 5, every day and in the temple and in various homes, they also continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. See, the early church believed in the idea of getting together and spending time in God's word together. Why? Again, they, they needed to know this together. And you think about what they had. They had copies of letters. They had copies of letters that were passed around and handed down. We have so much more than they had. But they show us the example of getting together and spending time in God's word together. 
it wasn't just about getting to know each other. Because our focus goes so far beyond just knowing each other. That's important. Don't hear me say it's not because it is, it's vital that we get to know each other. But they realized the importance of getting to know the will of God and the will of His Son, Jesus Christ. And they spent that time together. <clears throat> our, our Bible classes here are, are exceptional. They're well-planned. They're well-taught. I'm not just saying that because I'm on the committee and I teach. I'm just saying we have, we have, a, we have a, a great group of teachers. We have a great group of, of planners that get together and, and plan out curriculum. And I'll just say this. I don't know why we don't take advantage of it more. We ought to, you ought to be here Sunday morning for Bible class. You ought to be here Wednesday night for Bible class. I don't understand why people don't. It's a great chance to learn. So yeah, I'm guilting you into coming to class. But, but seriously, I don't, get, I, don't, I don't get it. But we ought to take advantage of those. But we can't leave it there. That's what we see from the early church, that it wasn't just get together in the synagogue and study. They took it home. We need to be people who are engaging in spiritual thoughts, spiritual discussions in our home with our families. But when we have people over, Invite people over and let's just sit and talk about God's word. Delve into a study about God. Invite people who aren't Christians. Invite them into your home where they might feel more comfortable coming to your home than coming here. And just talk about spiritual things. We see also in Romans 16 in that passage where Paul's greeting all those people. To Priscilla and Aquila, he says, greet to the church that meets in their home. What does that tell us? That they took this home with them. Now, I'm not saying this isn't important because it absolutely is. Worship together, our assembling together is absolutely vital. It's necessary. It's commanded and it's good for us. But this can't be it for, for us to be healthy, for us to be the, the, as healthy as we can possibly be. This has to go home with us. And we need to share in our times of spiritual growth and study together. Another thing that we see from the first century church is that they also had a plan to serve together. In Acts chapter 6, right after that passage, in, at the end of Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 6, the first few verses, we have the section that we kind of refer to as maybe the first deacons. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but these are certainly people who were appointed to serve. Look, look what this section says. <clears throat> Acts chapter 6, verses 2 and 3 the twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples. There was there people. There's some Hellenistic, some Greek widows weren't being distributed food. So they said, we got to figure this out. The twelve summoned the whole company of disciples and said, it wouldn't be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. So what do we see here? We see the idea of the, of of a need that needs to be met. And we see people going, well, who can serve that? Who can do this? Who can fill this role? And they saw people who obviously had a gift for it. So there may, there may be times where, where we need to look for service that we can do. We need to look for opportunities to serve each other, which means, going back to the first two ideas, we have to know each other well enough. We have to know each other well enough to, to know when there are needs. That also means we have to be willing to share our needs with each other. But what we see is these men that were appointed, and we see these next, the next few verses, the men that they appointed, 
these guys who obviously were, were people who had a heart to serve. They were people who were ready to serve. They just needed to be pointed in the right direction. They just needed a plan. They just needed to say, here's, here's what needs to be done. Take care of these widows. Now go do it. We need to be people who are looking to take care of physical needs. Our spiritual well-being is, is super important. That's why I started with that and we'll even come back to it. Our spiritual well-being is, is core to who we are. But let's be honest. Sometimes meeting a physical need for somebody can be such a relief. It, it can do so much for somebody. I remember when, when, when we still lived in Oklahoma, we had some different challenges we were dealing with, with when Blake was a baby and we were pretty newly married and in our first house. And we, just, we, we had some things. We couldn't get things done around the house. And we came home from a doctor's visit one day, and there were some friends of ours mowing our yard. And I was like, that's insulting. <laughs> I was like, hey, hey, you, you don't need to mow our yard. And Corey, the guy, he goes, I know. And I was like, well, then leave. <laughs> and he goes, well, it needs done, doesn't it? And I was like, yeah. And, and that, that was hard. But it, it, I, I'll never forget that. Because that made such a difference to me. That made such an impact on me. We went last week, last Saturday, some young adults and some teens went out and we raked some yards, raked some leaves. That's not the most challenging thing in the world. I mean, I'll admit I was sore for about three days afterward. <laughs> most of them weren't, but I was. But the, the, the expressions that we saw on the faces of the people that we helped, that's just priceless. You don't know what impact sometimes just meeting a physical need can have. We just need to sometimes find the opportunities to do them, again, which means we have to know each other well enough to identify those needs. So we see that from the first century church. But what we also see, and let's go back to some spiritual needs, and this is where it gets kind of challenging. Look over in Acts chapter 9 as we move forward. In Acts chapter 9, what we see is that we also see from the early, early church that we're made to look out for each other in, in, in a spiritual way. In Acts chapter 9, what we see is Saul, as he's about to turn into Paul. He is, he's, he's become a follower of Jesus. So the Jews hate him, his people that he used to be really close to. The new Christians are scared to death of him because they know who he used to be. They don't know he's, they don't know it's still used, they don't know it's used to be yet. They're, they're not sure who this guy is. And look in Acts chapter 9, verse 26. When he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, since they did not believe he was a disciple. Verse 27, Barnabas, however, took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had talked to him. And how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas took hold of him. What we see right there is a great example of reaching out to somebody and bringing them into the community of believers. We, we see the same thing in John chapter 1 with Andrew. Andrew goes and gets Peter and says, Come and see, come see this guy. This, this is the guy we've been waiting for. Now, small step, Andrew doesn't get a whole lot of accolades, doesn't get a whole lot of scripture, but that's a pretty big deal. He went and got Peter. 
I mean, that worked out pretty well, right? How about Priscilla and Aquila? In Acts chapter 18, Apollos is, a, is a speaking boldly. He just doesn't quite, have, he doesn't quite have all the information. So what do they do? They take him aside and they gently explain to him the truth. And they bring him in to the community of believers. Sometimes, sometimes this, this analogy breaks down a little bit. Because this doesn't apply necessarily to Paul, Saul. This doesn't apply in this way in particular to, to Peter or even to Apollos necessarily. But sometimes that one that we reach out to, the one that we try to bring in, may be the one who used to be here. Maybe the one who at one point in life was an active member, was faithful, and something happened. And things got in the way, and they've drifted away. There's, there, there's, a, there's a lot of reasons why that happens. But I, I don't want to, I'm not really here to discuss the reasons why. I'm here to say we need to figure out what those reasons are. We need to fix them. We need to be people who reach out and we take hold of people and we bring them into the community. Sometimes people get their feelings hurt. Sometimes people get angry about things. The writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs 18, verse 19, an offended brother is harder to reach than a fortified city. But let me ask you this. Can you reach a fortified city? Yeah. Doesn't mean it's impossible. It means we need to figure out why the brother was offended and see what we can do to fix it. You know, Jesus, in Matthew 18, he talks about this. He talks about this process of, of if a brother sins against you, then what do you do? He says, you go talk to that person. And what do we always do with that? Or maybe it's just me. I'll just say what I, I always do with that is I immediately go. And then the next step is you take somebody else. And then the next step is you, you take him before the church. You take him to the elders, right? Look what Jesus says. These are Jesus's words. Matthew 18, beginning in verse 15. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. Why do we skip that? Jesus says, go talk to him. It might just work. You might get him back. You win your brother back. That's what Paul says in Galatians 6. One says, when you see your brother, if your brother's committed sin, you who are faithful, go and, go and reach out to him and restore them. It might just work. But we have to ask. We have to find out where the people went. We have to find out why they're not here. We have to find out what it is that offended them, what it is that hurt them. Maybe it was 5, 10, 20 years ago. We just need to figure it out. Our greatest mission field, I believe, or our, maybe our easiest field of outreach is those who were once connected right here and now aren't. Where are they? And why, what, what happened? And what can we do to fix that? We need to be people like Barnabas who will go and take hold of them and bring them back into the community. It's hard. But it's what, what we need to do. We, we can't just give up. Finally, I think we see from the early church one of the most obvious things, and this is one of those things we could just find a ton of examples, but I want to focus on Acts chapter 17 because I think this is such a great scene. Acts chapter 17, Paul and Silas are in Thessalonica, and they have, uh, they, they've gone into the synagogue, and people are believing, and people are following them. And in Acts chapter 17, verse 6, I think we find is where we find what I think is just such a great passage because the, the Jews are angry. They're, they can't believe this is even happening. 
verse 5 says, But the Jews became jealous, and they brought together some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city, attacking Jason's house. They searched for them to bring them out to the public assembly. When they did not find them, they just grabbed somebody. They dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city officials, shouting, Those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. You ever been called names? Somebody calls, I mean, I used to have glasses. I used to have to wear braces on my legs. I got called all kinds of names. That was before Forrest Gump or so I'm sure somebody would call me that. <laughs> but it's not very often that somebody walks up to you and goes, tries to be smart and says, hey, handsome. But you go, hey, strong looking man. You just go, are you trying to? We've been called a lot of things. We've been called people who hate music because we don't use instruments. Back in the day, we were called Campbellites because of our association with Alexander Campbell and that movement. This is what we want to be called. This is, this is a name that we want. Those who have turned the world up, fine, call us that. We've got to be people who are sharing our faith. Turning the world upside down. And I'm telling you right now, we cannot turn the world upside down from these blue pews. I mean, we can pray about it and we can encourage each other to do it. But we have to be out there sharing our faith. We have to be reaching out into the world around us. It's, it's, it's simple to say. We're, we're doing a class on Wednesday night in there. We're talking about sharing our faith. We're talking about preparing ourselves to know what we want to share. We're talking about dealing with objections. We're, and then we're going to talk about some methods. And we can know all the methods in the world. But if we don't use them, it's pointless. We've got to do this. The question is, how? I mean, it's, it's, you go through these five ideas, and some of those are some of those are okay, some of those are easy, easier. But then the question is, how do we do this? How do we do all of this? How do we do these acts of the disciples that we see? from the first century church. Well, I want to present an option to you this morning. A way we can do this. This is not a perfect idea. This is not a flawless plan. I admit that from, from the outset. And it relies super heavily on your participation. But I want to spend the next few minutes explaining to you, just very few minutes, I promise, explaining to you and hopefully getting you excited about our new approach to our care groups. I'm so excited about this. And this, it's silly. I was telling Carrie yesterday, I don't know why, but I'm just, I, this is like, I'm just all stoked about this. But I, I, really, I honestly believe, I, I think this can be a game changer for us. Our care groups, we've, we've done care groups for, I believe we started this in 2007, something like that, seven or eight. And what we've done for years is we assigned every member of the congregation was in a care group. Some of you who are newer are going, really? That, that, that's part of my point. <clears throat> every, every member was in a care group. If, if you came and, and decided you wanted to worship with us permanently and place membership with us, we put you in a care group. Some of our care groups have, if you look at the list of people, they're like 60, 70 people. That's overwhelming. <laughs> And then, but, but then those groups of 60, 70 people will say, okay, we're going to get together on whatever night, we're going to do this, and eight or nine people show up. And that's so frustrating for our leaders. 
Some of our leaders have been care group leaders for centuries, it seems like. They've been leaders since the inception of this thing, it seems like. We have a system in place that is, has been tough. It's been super tough the last two years. It's been tough for our leaders. It's been tough for the members of groups who want to be active and their group doesn't function well. It's been tough to gain momentum for any of our groups. And some people just say, you know, I, I, I just, I will not participate. I don't want to be in a care group at all. Okay, fine. From this point forward, all of our care groups are voluntary. If you want to be in a group, be in a group. If you don't want to be in a group, don't be in a group. We have spent, John Mendiola and I have worked on this for quite a while. We actually, this was supposed to have happened. We met for lunch in January or February of 2020. And that's, that's why I'm here now. Uh, but for the last several months, for the last few weeks, Perry Pruitt and Zach Russell have, have worked with us as, as kind of a committee to, to work on some ideas of how to do this. So what we're going to do is we're just going to make it voluntary. Pick, pick a group you want to be in and join a group. What I want to show, show you here in the next couple minutes is we're going to present to you five different types of groups for you to join. Okay? And these are all based on these principles that we just talked about. We're going to have probably the easiest type of group is just a dinner social group. A name I stuck on them is 246 groups based on Acts chapter 2, verse 46. They met and they shared meals together. Just get together with people and share a meal. Get together with people and share a few minutes of prayer and talk about life and just get to know each other. We're going to organize these groups primarily by area. But if a few of you decide, hey, we want to form a group, form a group. But just be expected, just know that you might get people added to your group. Just get to know people. That's the idea. We're going to need leaders. We have some leaders in mind. We have some leaders already in place. We have some groups that are already functioning like this. But here's what we're going to ask the leaders. Just be the person who schedules the time. Who just says, here's the day we're going to meet. Here's, the, here's where we're going to meet. Arrange for the meal plan. Doesn't mean you're cooking the meals. It doesn't mean it's always at your house. Just coordinate it and work with us, work with the elders, work with the secretary, work with all of us and just to make sure that we're including new members and, and, and regular visitors so people aren't being left out in the cold if they want to be a part of this. Invite them in and then just communicate with the care group. I put care group minister. I didn't want to put my name just in case they fire me after this. But <laughs> communicate with, with me and just let me know what you're doing so we can kind of keep sure, make sure everybody's on the same page and know where we can plug people in. Okay, Easy group. Just get together and have a meal. Next type of group is the Bible study devotional type groups. We have a few groups that are still doing this. And you know, the fact is, these two groups are probably the easiest, probably the most common that you see all over the country. And we have several groups that are doing this already. We don't call them care groups necessarily. We have groups, we have a kids care group that it's exactly like that first group. They get together, they share snacks, and they do something fun. They get to know each other. We have Bunko, ladies get together to play Bunko. We have in this category, we have... A men's prayer breakfast, two of those. We have a young men's and young, or young families, men's and women's devotional. We have, we, have, we have these things happening already. But for these care groups, 542 groups, is my thinking, again, based on Acts chapter 5, verse 42. They met in each other's homes teaching and studying God's word. With these groups, if you want to do one of these and you say, I, I, I want to do this, but what am I going to study? We'll supply you with stuff. 
there's, uh, between, between me, Richard, and Jared, we could probably just overwhelm you with devotional type stuff. So you don't even have to come up with your own stuff. Again, we'll organize these primarily by area. But again, if you have a group of people you want to do this with, get together with them. Just, say, just let us know who, you're, who you are, and maybe people will plug people in with you. Leaders, same thing. Schedule a consistent time. You can lead the study, or you can ask somebody in your group to lead the study, lead the devotional. And then just communicate with, with, with me what, what you're doing. So again, so we just keep everybody on the same page. Two, two most common types of group. These are the ones you're probably most familiar with. Here's another idea that we're doing, though. That whole thing there in Acts chapter 6, the, the spiritual leaders, the, the apostles said, listen, we don't, have, we don't need to be serving tables. They, they weren't starting a cafe. That's not what they were saying. They were saying, we, we don't need to be doing that kind of that work. We've we got to care about the spiritual direction of, of all these new Christians. So they assigned those men to just do some service projects. So we want to have service project groups. People who will just get together to conduct service projects. Focusing on serving our own, first of all, taking care of our shut-ins, taking care of our widows, taking care of people who have, have needs, maybe on a special basis. But then these are, all, these are going to be groups that are, are doing like yard work. Maybe you're, maybe you're a person who just loves doing yard work. You want to get together with some other people during the spring and summer, every Saturday, go mow some yards. Let's do that. Let's take care of each other who might need taken care of. Raking leaves, shoveling snow, whatever it might be, we'll just coordinate some activity. Here's what we ask the leaders to do. <clears throat> coordinate with, again, with me, coordinate with the senior saints deacon, that's Alex Payton, and let's identify some needs, let's find those, and assign groups to go do them. But then we also want to look for, for service projects that we could do as outreach, where these are kind of going to overlap. We'll get to the outreach in, in a minute. But maybe there's somebody down the street from you who's having a rough time. And you want to go and say, hey, we're from Linda Road Church of Christ. We want to rake your leaves. We want to mow your grass. We want to paint your house. Whatever we want to do, we just want to help you because we're, we're concerned about you. Maybe we get involved with, with, with a, a daycare. Maybe we get involved with, with, a, with a middle school or an elementary school. Something like that. I don't know. There's plenty of ideas. That's the other thing. Plan a time to get together to meet once in a while, maybe once a month, once a quarter. And let's talk about ideas. How can we serve? How can we get in the community and make a difference with our service? It doesn't mean you have to teach a Bible study. It doesn't mean you have to be able to, you know, recite Acts chapter 2 to anybody. It just means you can push a lawnmower or drag a rake around or whatever. But let's get out and serve each other. The fourth type of group, and this is, this is the group I think is one of the most challenging, but this is that idea of what Barnabas did, reaching out and taking hold of people and bringing them back. This would be a group of people who are willing to reach out to former Christians, or to Christians, former members, people who have, for whatever reason, have drifted away, and bring them back. And you, you can do personal outreach, you can go visit them, you can send cards, you can make phone calls, whatever, whatever you decide to do. But then, same thing, meet together every now and then, once a month, once a quarter, to just talk about who are you reaching out to, who have you... You don't want to have one or two people that everybody sends a card to, everybody, but maybe you do. But, but the idea is let's spread that out a little bit. So let's meet once in a while and talk about what's a better way we can do this, what's a better way to reach this individual than this individual. And with the leader, the same idea, just coordinate with us who you're reaching out to, what, what's your method, how's it working... Is there anything you need from us to follow up with that? 
and plan a time for your group to meet together and brainstorm, to come up with that. We had the, the day of dreaming last Saturday. I, to me, those are one of the, just the greatest things because you hear people, other people's ideas. I, I read a bunch of stuff about church growth and outreach type stuff. And every time we do one of those, I go, that's a great idea. I've never heard of that. Because it, it's so you get together and you share ideas. How, how can we reach out to Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so who were members here four or five years ago and now I see them at Walmart and we don't even talk? How, how do we fix that? So these, this, this might be the asterisk group. These, this, this can be challenging, but this is so necessary. And then the fifth group option is outreach groups. And I just call these upside-down groups because we want to turn the world upside down. These are people who would like to be involved in going out and just distributing flyers, door hangers, maybe even door knocking at some point. But maybe that's your thing. You want to do that one Saturday a month. Let's do it. You want to, you want to figure out a day that works for you? Let's, let's go in our area and let our neighbors know we exist and reach out to them with something. <clears throat> we'll, we'll also do some training. We've talked about some of the methods that, that we, we're, we're talking about in our Wednesday night class. We'll, 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 di we'll involve in some some one-on-one -on -one type training. Let's go through some, some role-playing and figure out how to do the OBS, how to do a Jewel Miller DVDs or whatever. But we'll talk about some training in that. Leaders, same thing. Coordinate with, with the elders, with me, with our, our evangelism committee. And our evangelism committee met the other day too. And we might just have some of you to go hang on doors twice a month. Who knows? But we'll work together where we can canvas this area. If you have a group of people that you think you want to do that, let us know and we'll get that coordinated. Same thing, but then plan a time once in a while to get together and just brainstorm. How are we going to reach out into our community better? What else can we do to reach out to, our, to the people right across the street, to the people in this neighborhood right across the street? Do they even know who we are? Let's make sure they do in some way or another. And let people know that we want to get to know them. So how do you do it? Here's the details on all this. Oh, wow, you can't read that, can you? Initially, our idea is groups are going to start, we're going to start January 1st. Groups will meet January through September for nine months at a time. Then you can try another type of group. You can switch groups at that point. If you get in three months into it, two or three months in, and you want to try a different group, try a different group. You're not, you're not locked into this group. We want, we want you to try it. We want you to jump into something and just give it a try. After each nine-month cycle, we're going to cycle the leaders if they want to. We're not going to, you leaders, don't, don't think, I'm not going to commit to that again. I was a leader in 2008 and haven't gotten out yet. <laughs> if you want to step out of being a leader, we're going to encourage somebody else to step into that role. And we're going to, Lord willing, make it easy to transition to leader. Participate in as many groups as you want to. If you want to be in one of each type group, do that. But I do want to encourage you to just try and lead one for, for right now. If, if you want to be in one of each type group, be in one of each type, but just be willing to lead one. And then leaders want to encourage you to include members who said, I don't want to be in a group. So you who say, I don't want to do any of this, be prepared to be asked once in a while. If you say, I don't want to be in a care group of any kind, don't be surprised if somebody walks up to you and says, hey, our care group's meeting for dinner. Would you like to join us? Or, hey, I know you have a propensity for this or that. We're going to go do this service project. Would you like to join us? So you don't have to join, but don't be shocked when you're asked to participate once in a while, just on a, on a one-time basis to see if you like it. And if you're asked, let me encourage you to join in, be involved. As I said at the very beginning, this all hinges on our involvement. I've heard 
over the years so many times, I don't need care groups. I don't need to do that. I, I'm confident in my faith. I, I'm busy with a lot of stuff. I don't, I don't need that. Well, let me just encourage you. How can I say this, Jim? Don't just think about yourself. There might be somebody who needs you. You don't know how much difference it might make if, you invite, if someone invites you to come to dinner at their house and you accept. Somebody invites you to come knock doors or to come hang flyers with them and you say, yeah, I'll try that. You don't know what an encouragement that might be to somebody else. So be willing to step out. Be willing to try something a little bit different. So how do you do this? How do you get involved with this? Well, first thing, if you may have noticed out in the foyer, there's a tables out there with sign-up sheets. There's, there's enough space on those sheets for about a 900-member congregation. So sign up. If, if, if you want to sign up today, do that. For those of you who are watching online, obviously you're not going to be able to sign up today. But we're going to have the tables sitting out. We'll move them into the foyer probably tonight or into the fellowship hall probably tonight. They're going to leave them up for a couple weeks. You'll have plenty of time to sign up. If, if you're not here, for you all at home, text me, 208-891-5... It's like an infomercial all of a sudden. 208-89... I feel like the MyPillow guy. 208-891-5771. Just text me. Text me your name. Say, Davison Service, and I'll put you in a service group. Text me, Davison Outreach Group. We'll put you, in, put you in a service group. Just text me. I was going to set up a church teams thing, but I was like, I'll just text me. That's easier enough. So be involved in this. Give it a try. I mean, the, 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 different, the main difference in this from our previous setup is you're not going to be assigned a group. You get to pick what you want to do. If you don't want to do anything, you get to do that. But again, don't be surprised if somebody in a few weeks, few months says, hey, come join us for once. Join us one time. I, I, again, I have to, I, I'm so excited about this. I, I just think this is, this is not my idea. This is a, an idea that we've worked on literally for years to try and get to this point. But I, I honestly believe if, if we engage in this, we can improve ourselves as a body so much. We can impact each other in so many different ways. I know there are some of you here who were expecting a Thanksgiving focused sermon today. But you know what? That's what this is to me. In so many ways, I am so thankful for the fellowship that we have here. I'm so thankful for this body. I, I, I think back to the first time we came here. When we came here for our interview weekend, Karen and I were overwhelmed with how friendly, and I get it, you had to be friendly to me because you're the new guy, the visitor guy. But I mean, but this congregation is, is so loving. I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful for our new members. I'm th it, it amazes me still that over the last 18 months when the world has been so crazy, that we're getting new people, new faces. And I love that. I love the new energy that, that, that new, new people bring. But we need to engage you. We need to connect you. So you're not just, you're not staying the new person for five, ten years. So thankful for those people. Thankful for the servants in this congregation. Thankful for our elders for being willing to, to take this new approach. Thankful for the 